Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast with me, Maya Fisher-French, where we discuss all things money because whether we like it or not, money matters and it has an impact on the life we live. Now, one of the more frequent questions we receive is how to choose the right exchange-traded fund or unit trust for your needs. And it's quite funny because just this week I had um, a, a tweet from Emmanuel. So I hope, Emmanuel, you're listening. 25 years old, has 50,000 rand to invest. Where does he put it? So I've invited Satrick's Chief Investment Officer, Kingsley Williams, to provide some guidelines around selecting the right fund but also to give us a little bit of perspective on the investment landscape for 2021. So thank you, Kingsley. Welcome to the My Lifestyle, My Money, My Lifestyle podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Maya. Okay, Kingsley, I'm just going to get right into it because I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm feeling a little bit battered and bruised, okay? So we <laughs> had 2020. <laughs> we all thought, oh, 2021, how much worse could it be? Um, and 2021 just brought second waves, and then it brought all sort of market manipulations, for want of a better word. We've got this whole GameStop story, then there's this Bitcoin, and should we have Bitcoin? And the markets feel like it's all up in the air. People are talking about a new normal, the old rules are gone, long-term investing is for the dogs. So let's just, I'm going to ask you, give me some perspective, something to calm us all down. What should we be, how should we be approaching 2021? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Maya. Um, so, you know, I think uh, one of the things that I've certainly been speaking about with, uh, with colleagues at the start of this year and, and other investors and friends is that, um, you know, I think having, having lower expectations for, for what this year could hold, certainly relative to the expectations we probably had at the beginning of 2020 uh, will hopefully, you know, help us uh, keep in some sort of more positive frame of mind. But uh, you know, moving to moving to the investment side of things, um, you know, 2020 certainly threw one of the sharpest and most dramatic drawdowns that we've experienced in history. But it also was accompanied with one of the fastest recoveries that we had in history. Um, Markets recovered back to, you know, their pre-COVID um, crash levels uh, in the space of sort of eight months, uh, which was a lot quicker than we've experienced with previous drawdowns of the same magnitude. So I think there's some lessons in that for us, you know, on the importance of remaining invested, particularly when it becomes uncomfortable to remain invested and you know, we're tempted to to change our investment strategy or start looking for more exciting opportunities uh, that you know are always uh, out there promising us quick quick returns. And I, I, I came across an interesting stat around you know just the the virtues of that slow and steady wins the race. Of you know, would you choose a hundred percent return, so literally doubling your money every year for ten years? Or would you choose 10% return, fairly nominal return in this day and age, for 100 years? And if you do the calcs, 10% for 100 years thrashes what 100% for 10 years delivers. And I think that really just talks to, you know, that slow and steady wins the race. You know, Kingsley, it was very interesting because I, you know, I was... 
in the beginning in January every year I do my net asset worth, you know, which is it can be a good or bad exercise depending on how the year before went. But what was interesting to me was how I do trade. Um, I, I have a, sh a share, you know, I'll, I'll buy and sell shares occasionally. I even have bought Bitcoin, unfortunately not early enough, but you know, I do that sort of stuff. Um, you know, but my long-term investments still make up at least 98, if not 99 percent of my wealth. Because I've been doing it for so long. And that's exactly, I thought, you know what, it doesn't even matter that quick little win you made here or there this year is mm. nothing compared to the money I was putting away when I was 25 and how I've just left that to grow. And it exactly. is, it's, it's hard to get that across, I think, to someone who is 25 and saying, but I don't want to have to wait until, you know, until my later years for this to start paying off. I want it now. But I can yeah. tell you, I've never managed to get the trading right. And I don't think I, I make money. Yes, but I also lose money. And I think people don't ever talk about when they lose money. Everyone talks about when they make money. And exactly. I, I just, I'm ex-stockbroking. I worked in this industry and I know that it is at the end of the day, it is the slow and steady wins the race and and maybe give us a little bit of perspective on why we bounce back so fast because i think there's a lot of people saying wait hold on a second this was a little too quick we've, we've come back too quickly that things are not actually as rosy as the markets want them to appear yeah so i think markets are pricing in that recovery and they're always going to lead the actual recovery because markets trade on expectations um and, you know, that recovery is also, you know, hasn't been a straight line. It's, you know, they've been they've been set back months and then there's been, you know, fear and then there's the worries about the, the political situation in the U.S. and, you know, what what implications that may have. And, you know, with Biden's present, uh, presidency, the new policies he's going to implement and, you know, that also gets reflected in markets as well. So I think there is always this, you know, somewhat of a disconnect between Main Street and Wall Street. You know, people are experiencing hard times the economy is you know is in tatters with uh, you know with the the havoc that the virus has wreaked around you know around the world uh, but markets are expecting better things to come and obviously as those vaccines get rolled out there is hope and light at the end of the tunnel that we will be able to get back to a semblance of normality and i think particularly in south africa there's sort of quite an interesting thing playing out at the moment you know we're thankfully in a fortunate position at the moment where we our recovery is also being supported by a very healthy rally in the resources segment of the market and that has a lot of other economic benefits for the broader economy uh, you know when we're in that you know those good times from a resources perspective so yeah that's that's i think what we are seeing we, we also saw in the end you know towards 20 well during 2020 that you know, the financial sector was hit quite hard from a market valuation perspective. You know, your resources held up fairly well, but your financial stocks got decimated. Uh, even in the last quarter, though, they actually experienced a very strong recovery. Um, and, you know, I think, again, pricing in those expectations of better things to come. You know, Kings, and you know, I was watching that uh, last year. You know, I get an update every morning of what the sectors are down by or up by for the both day on day or year, or year on uh, beginning from the beginning of the year. And you could just see these financials doing nothing. And the whole thing was, when does that move? When do they 
recover. And we will never know. You know, we it's impossible for us to know what the trigger is going to be, when it's going to happen. And I just thought when I was looking at that, I thought my debit order goes off every month into all my investments. And I can't time this thing. It's impossible. But I just yeah. know that I'm putting my money away every single month you know, it will benefit. And I remember that end of, I think it was the, the debt order that went off at the end of March 2020. You know, by June, it was up 30% effectively because the market bounced yeah. back so fast. And I, exactly. I, I think trying to get through is, I don't sit there, I get those updates every day because I'm a journalist and lands in my inbox. <laughs> but I don't watch the market every single day. I Because no. what it's of no use to me. I'm not actively trading yeah. a day trader. So I'm just putting, you know, I just put it away every month. But I think what is interesting, and you've alluded to the, the the commodity cycle, the resources doing really well. I mean, what sectors, if one was going to try and look into the crystal ball of 2021, what sectors would one be looking at at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think, at, you know, at Satrix, given that we, you know, strong advocates for, um, you know, remaining invested over the long term and not, you know, doing that that more shorter term trading. We tend to steer clear of those forward-looking forecasts. They are so difficult to make. And I think one thing you can always say about forecasts is that you're bound to be wrong. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think the, the, the local financial uh, industry in South Africa is highly regarded. Uh, and it is ultimately a reflection of the economic activity that is playing out and has been through a pretty tough time. So, it, you know, that was reflected in the market valuations. Part of that was the list of property segments as well. Um, but, you know, as, as our economy bounces back and certainly as it's supported by a strong resource underpin, uh, that could result in quite a strong economic growth period that we experience. So it's going to take us a while to get back to the levels we were at at the end of 2019, no doubt, but it will be a strong bounce. And that will certainly be a support, you know, supportive to the financial segment, uh, given that that's ultimately a sort of, you can think of it as a leveraged play on on the local economy. So, so you know, as that unfolds, we, and, and certainly as our financial industry is highly regarded globally with the controls that it has in place and the way that it operates, you know, that should bounce back, certainly to reflect the long-term um, alignment that the financial industry has had with our broad market. There's a disconnect at the moment with, with what happened in 2020. That should return to some sort of normality. Mm. And it is interesting, you know, when I'm seeing the indicators coming through, they are all surprising on the upside. I think the economists have been surprised by the growth on, on the upside. Um, I don't, I, you know, I'm still confused by it, to be honest, because it feels like a lot of people lost their jobs. But somehow things are, are getting back on their feet quicker than, than we expected. Um, so we, we're just going to have to, I suppose, again, this is where we're trying to second guess markets or trying to second guess economic recovery as, as what does they say, a mug's yeah. game. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But yeah, I mean, we've, uh, you know, the the other way that we sort of try and, uh, you know, capture capture returns are through other other types of strategies that are not necessarily based on a particular sector or, um, you know, they try and capture themes, which a lot of uh, so-called active managers would exploit in their strategies. So those would be you know, trying to generate excess returns through various what we call style premia or factors. You know, I think value investing is quite a well-known concept to many investors. There are other types of strategies such as targeting quality stocks or momentum stocks. And even there, 
uh, Satrix very much advocates uh, or advocates having a, a neutral approach to targeting those different drivers of excess returns because trying to time which one's going to be the flavor of the month or the flavor of the year is incredibly difficult. So, you know, we would be well diversified across those different drivers of excess return or those different factors, not trying to be invested in one at the expense of another. So, again, it talks to that remaining invested through the long term, adopting a systematic approach, a disciplined approach to your savings and your investments. And, you know, through time, you're, you, you should be well rewarded with doing that. So, Kingsley, I must say, I haven't looked at the Satrix fund results at the end of, of or up to date, say, the end of January. And I know, the, for example, Satrix Momentum did very well for a time and all of that, but just not to, not to, what past performance is not an indication of future performance, yeah. but which ones did really well, relatively, um, over the last, the last um, 12 months? Yeah, well, I mean, looking at 2020, it was almost a compressed view of the kinds of cycles that factors go through over long periods of time. We saw a lot of cycles un unfolding in a compressed view in 2020 because there was, you know, massive market volatility, you know, uh, lots of people exiting the market, massive selling pressure, then the strong recovery in April, and then markets sort of grinding upwards to, to actually end the year positive, albeit very marginally so, they were still positive for the year. Um, so what we actually saw is a value holding up quite well in 2020. Surprisingly, it's been a tough strategy to be invested in on a standalone basis, uh, but that held up quite well in 2020. And then quality was quite a quite a mixed bag as, as well as dividend yield. So when when the market uh, initially sold off in March, you saw those more defensive type strategies do particularly well, as you would expect. But then other things started to unfold. For example, companies started cutting dividends and quality and dividend yield are quite sensitive to that in terms of investment strategies because companies wanted to preserve their cash and their balance sheets, not knowing what the future may hold. So those strategies then took a lot of pain. Uh, but then did subsequently recover towards the end of the year. Dividend Plus had a very, very good year. Uh, we have a unit trust and an ETF tracking that index. Um, it did extremely well during 2020. But one of our other strategies, which sort of takes a lot of the guesswork out of knowing which factor to be in or how to construct a multi-factor portfolio is what we call Smart Core. We run that as a unit trust and investors will then get exposure to value, quality, and momentum through a single uh, investment strategy. So, and that also held up surprisingly well, even though some of the individual strategies like momentum didn't do that well, and depending on which quality strategy you were invested in, that may have also struggled over the entire year. Having that diversified approach to targeting those different factors, which paid off at different times, held up very resiliently uh, through the course of the year. I'm definitely going to go back and look at it because I'm about to top up my TFSA. I've got a few, uh, another week or two to do that. Um, and I sit, I actually have a slightly diversified uh, ETF portfolio with you guys. I've got momentum in there. I've got the divvies in there. I've got my, you know, the, the, the um, MSCI as well. And I've got, but I don't know about the smart, it's a smart core, which actually kind of blends, uh, but that would just be South African based. So you don't have an, that's not. It's just SA, it's just SA based. Uh, yeah, it's available as a unit trust. And yeah, it, it, it constructs the portfolio in a little bit of a different way. 
but very much designed to uh, be that one-stop shop to try and get those excess returns relative to the market through time. Mm. Okay, definitely one I'm going to look at. And the other one I wanted to chat to you about is ESG. So your environmental yeah. social governance. Um, and it was funny, I actually got an email this morning from a woman saying to me that she's wanting to invest for her retirement, but she works in the climate change environment and ethical, you know, that whole space. Uh, she works for an NGO. And she said she's so concerned about what she sees out there that she really wants to invest in ethical companies. How does one go about doing that? And I, I suppose the challenge for me, Kingsley, is that everybody has a different idea of what's ethical. So, for example, she said, I don't want fast foods in there. So, but you know, you. So what is ESG, I suppose? Um, but maybe just talk a little bit to that. I do see you guys have included now some ESG funds on on the platform. Yeah, it's very, very exciting development uh, for us, and we do that in partnership with uh, iShares uh, from BlackRock. Uh, we feed into to some of their ETFs that are listed offshore, but they're now listed on the JSC as well. So you can access uh, globally diversified. ESG strategies in ETF form, um, offering exposure either to developed markets in the form of MSCI World or emerging markets uh, in the form of MSCI Emerging Markets. So now what those strategies do, which is quite interesting, is that uh, they don't just uh, address one particular issue, um, which maybe, you know, your contact who you were chatting to has a specific thing that she would like excluded from, from her portfolio. Uh, the philosophy behind our strategies is really to try and tick as many boxes as possible. So um, what I mean by that is obviously you want to have an enhanced ESG exposure relative to your full universe, whether that's MSCI world or emerging markets. You want your ESG portfolio to reflect a stronger, stronger ESG characteristics relative to those parent indices. Furthermore, what they do is they also reduce carbon emissions or carbon intensity uh, relative to the parent index by at least 30%. So not only are you having an enhanced DSG profile, but you're also making a strong impact in terms of reducing the carbon footprint of the companies that you're investing in. And then the third thing that it does is it wraps that all into a portfolio that is well constructed, but is cognizant of the risk relative to your parent index. So I think one of the concerns investors often have when adopting an ESG strategy is, yeah, but how does this perform relative to, you know, the vanilla off the shelf broad market index? Because I think many investors will still be keeping an eye on how those indices are doing. It's an opportunity cost problem. So these strategies manage the tracking error risk relative to those parent indices very closely so that you are still getting the MSCI world or emerging market experience while taking achieving these other objectives from an ESG and a carbon emissions uh, reduction perspective. So quite an interesting uh, new development to you know be able to offer those kinds of strategies through a single share uh, available on the JSC. But as you mentioned, lots of different investors will have very specific requirements of what they want from their ESG strategy. And there are lots of those ESG strategies available out there to meet those specific needs. Hmm. And if I remember correctly, and I looked at the performance, for example, of the MSCI um, ESG and, and the emerging market one, they actually outperformed over the last couple of years. Uh, 
you know, and which, which, which suggests that that is the sensible approach, is to say, if you invest in companies that are doing the right thing, they are the ones who are going to perform better over time. Yes, there, there is an argument for that, although um, you may, you know, you could also argue that that might be more of a short to medium term phenomenon, as there's sort of a lot of investors who are changing their strategy uh, from non-ESG to ESG, that there'd be a little bit of a premium that, uh, from a return perspective, that develops on the ESG-friendly companies. Uh, once that all normalizes out, then, you know, the jury's out on whether you should expect a return premium. I guess the philosophy that we've adopted is that we're not convinced that you will necessarily get a return premium, but we're going to make sure that we limit the risk of either outperforming or underperforming by a significant margin relative to your parent index. So you still get the MSCI world or emerging markets look and feel or experience from a return perspective, but you achieve those other objectives, which presumably are things that are important to you uh, beyond necessarily trying to target an excess return. It is about that social conscience, about saying I, yeah. I need to have a return because growth is what's going to allow me to retire or meet my, my goals. Exactly. But at the same time, I'm not prepared to do it at the cost of the environment or people's welfare. Um, so I, yeah. I think that's very much where, where we're seeing investors moving to. But now, Kingsley, I want to now simplify this down a little bit um, yes. because I get so many people just saying to me, okay, I want to take out a tax-free savings account or I want to invest like I had a manual. <laughs> Where does one, and they always say to you, where should I invest? Always, okay, where must I put my money? Uh, and and I, I obviously trying to encourage people to look long-term with it, with, especially with the tax-free savings investment accounts, because they really, the tax benefits are the long-term. It's that capital gains tax that you're not having to pay over time. Um, so, but when you come along and you've got this range, which Satrix has, of such a wide platform, what is mm. your recommendation to someone starting out taking out their first tax reinvestment, for example? Yeah, well, I mean, I have to say this, so I don't get wrapped over the knuckles by compliance, but uh, I'm not uh, in a position to obviously advise anyone specifically. But, you know, I think a great place to start, uh, particularly if you're looking at all of the funds that, that we do offer, would be to start with a well-diversified balanced fund. And, you know, again, there's still two options within that, you know, in unit trust form, you know, th there's the Satrix Balanced Fund, which is a more aggressive, uh, you know, has a more aggressive risk profile for the type of investor that should invest for that. And what I mean by that is that it's more suited to an investor with a longer term horizon, at least five years, maybe 10. Uh, we also have a low equity uh, balanced fund, Satrix Low Equity Balanced Index Fund, and that would be for a more conservative investor. Uh, maybe over a shorter horizon, three to five years, for example. But the reason those are great places to start is with a single investment, you're going to get local equities, local bonds, local listed property, offshore equities, offshore bonds, uh, and as well as local cash, all in a single investment uh, designed to achieve a long-term objective. And so with one with one investment, you you get a great, you know, very well diversified portfolio with exposure to lots of different asset classes. And from there, you've got a great base to say, okay, I'm getting the hang of this investment and the saving thing. Let me now be a little bit more niche or specific or focused on what I want to invest in. So maybe you're looking for more of a tech 
theme within your portfolio. So then, you know, our NASDAQ 100 ETF might be a good option for you to add to that base. Or you mm -hmm. say, you know, I might want more offshore exposure. Uh, and then you're faced with the question, well, where do you want that offshore exposure? Are you wanting to take advantage of the, you know, the shift in global power moving from west to east, for example? So you could invest in China to, to access that theme. Or maybe you just want more broad diversified exposure in the form of MSCI World or emerging markets or indeed the ESG variants uh, of those strategies. So there's lots of choice out there. But I think you, you don't want that choice to dissuade you or get in the way of making the most important decision, which is to start saving. And if exactly. you're not sure what to save, then start with a balanced fund, get, you know, get some skin in the game, uh, you know, have, you know, have some, some market exposure in your, in your personal capacity. And then you can start that investment journey of being more specific and targeted in what you want to invest in. Um, I, I agree with you. And that's, I always get people who will ask, I don't know where to invest, where to invest. Six months later, they still haven't invested because they're so worried they're going to get it wrong. Well, just, just start. Yeah. I want to start. And I think the advice of just going for a balanced fund, you know, you're not taking massive risk. You're not taking sector risk or asset risk specifically. Um, it, is, it is a better option. But one of the things, and it's funny because that you say go for a balanced fund, because um, there's a lot of pushback around Regulation 28. So people are saying don't invest in retirement annuities because they have to stick to Regulation 28, which those of you listening in English means that you're limited to how much offshore, A, how much offshore you can have, and B, how, many equi how much equities you can have. You can only have 75% equities, and over the long term, equities outperform bonds and cash in theory. What is your response to that? Um, if somebody says yes, but, you know, is balance fund not going to give me substandard returns? Yeah, and uh, I think there is some valid criticism there in terms of what you're able to invest in. But I think to sort of um, respond to that, in many, you know, for many investors, they are ultimately saving uh, to retire here in South Africa. So your liabilities remain here. And by investing offshore, or if you were to invest, uh, a large portion offshore, you would be exposing yourself to additional risks from a currency perspective. There have been periods, as hard as it is to believe, where the RAND has strengthened dramatically from its very undervalued levels. And we've actually seen that play out in 2020. Uh, in 2020? Yeah, the RAND was at uh, 1819, which now at 14 something. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's significant strength. And that does represent a risk whenever you invest offshore. So I think there's a lot of uh, value in starting with a well-diversified base. And I think the other thing within a Regulation 28 context that you can't ignore are the additional benefits from a, from a tax perspective. Sure, you can save in anything through your tax-free saving, but I think most people's largest saving is going to come from what they allocate you know, through their salary into their company pension plan if, that, if they're fortunate enough to have one of those or to structure it through their RA and the tax deductions that are allowed through that mechanism, far more so than what they may contribute on an annual basis into a tax-free saving, for example. So again, that comes back to that slow and steady uh, race. You know, I've been working for 20 odd years now and that pension fund that's starting to build up, yes, it has had lackluster returns over the last five years, uh, as as has everyone else, uh, but the point is, if you 
disciplined in saving into that vehicle and not withdrawing it when you change jobs, you know, all of those common sense things that does start to build in to a healthy nest egg, uh, mm. which is ultimately what you want so that you can retire comfortably. Absolutely. And I, as I said, I was looking at mine this, <laughs> this week um, and, and it is just that realization of just sticking the course um, and, and not getting caught up in it. So I think that's and, and also just another point I wanted to make, uh, Kingsley, is, you know, for a lot of people, we talk about the tax reinvestments, you know, 3000 Rand a month, you can invest 36,000 a year, but you can also just start with 100 Rand a month. I mean, there's no minimum, really. I mean, exactly. on the even something like easy equities, you can access these funds really for very, very little money a month. Um, and, and so it isn't really an excuse. I think for me, the only thing is, is that I would rather somebody was just putting 100 Rand away a month that they knew they never had to touch again. Uh, the mistake yeah. I see is people trying to put more in, they put a 1000 Rand, but then they hit an emergency, life happens and they pull it out. And then they're very disappointed because the market's gone down, they haven't made. So even if it is, if it's money that you know you don't have to touch, even if it's 100 Rand, just, you know, just start. <laughs> Exactly. And, and and I think that is one of the the benefits as well within the retirement uh, uh, framework is that it does make it a bit more difficult to access that money, which it should be because it's meant for the long term. It's meant to be, you know, you saving so you can provide yourself for yourself uh, in retirement. And similarly, the tax free saving has those has those limits in terms of what you can withdraw in your lifetime contributions. But the point is, start and don't touch it let it grow let let the compounding effect in that example i gave earlier we're not probably none of us will have 100 years to let it grow but you know you get the point the longer you can leave it the better it's going to be absolutely and uh, so i think just to sum up for those of you listening you're saying just maya what must i do go and open an account um, if you don't know anything, you don't want to know too much, you don't want to read about stuff, go for a good balanced fund. Um, that's King's recommendation. Uh, just stick it in there. And then maybe as you hear things, I mean, now, for example, I'll tell you the RAND's really strong at the moment. For me, it's a bit of an opportunity to put a little bit more on my, my uh, ETFs that have offshore exposure. I'm thinking, I'm sitting there, I'm chopping up my ETFs, I'm thinking, hmm, RAND, RAND strength at the moment. Uh, maybe I'll take some offshore. When you get to that point, when you, you want to make a little bit more strategic decisions, maybe with a lump sum, then uh, that would be a good idea. So I'm going back to Emmanuel, um, who sent me that, that tweet. Um, I feel like I do need to answer him. And again, this is not advice, but that's a good starting point is, is take of that 50,000 he has, put 36,000 away now um, before the end of February in your tax-free savings investment. And then on the 1st of March, you can top up with the rest um, exactly. and really just, just start building wealth. He's 25, you know, that's gonna be worth a fair amount of money in, in, the, in, the, in the future. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.